When I was 10 years old, I went out for Little League football, and uh, at the registration, they had us weigh in, and they looked at my weight, and they said, you know, you're kind of right on the edge. You can play with the 10-year-olds, or you can go up and play with the 11- and 12-year-olds, but if you're going to play with the 10-year-olds, you're going to have to lose a little bit of weight. It was weight-controlled, and you're going to have to lose about uh, five or six pounds. And I thought, well, for, for five or six pounds, I would rather play with 10-year-olds than play against 11- and 12-year-olds. And I thought, you know, how, how big a deal can it be? Five pounds. How big a deal can it be? And I was going to need to keep it off because we have to weigh every Sunday before we play. And over the next 10 weeks, I found out how big a deal was because when I took my lunch to school, I I had a sandwich and I had like uh, carrots and apples and maybe a banana. And and no, no cookies, no sweets, no nothing. It was a big deal. And this was going on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks this was a little bit more challenging than I thought. Come home for after-school snack. My mom had uh, cut up some apple slices for me. It, you know, it wasn't what I had in mind. Uh, more challenging than I thought. Well, sometimes we talk about faith, and we just say, yeah, just believe in God. How challenging can it be? Well, like my little 10 weeks of trying to keep off five pounds, uh, there's, there's parts of faith that are challenging. And I want to talk about that today. What makes faith so challenging? So if you've got a Bible, if you turn to Genesis 23, we're going to go right through that passage, that whole chapter, and, and talk about what makes faith so challenging. Now, just a quick overview of Genesis 1 to 11, chapters 1 through 11. God creates people to be in a relationship with Him, and humanity pushes back. They say, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't want any part of this. And in Genesis 12, God puts himself back in the picture through Abraham. And he says, you know, I'm going to work through your family. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to show myself to a world that's saying, I don't think so, through you. But, but in order to do that, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to believe me. You're going to have to follow me. And we're going to start by having you leave the land you know and the people you know in customs and, and go to this promised land. And so Abraham and his wife Sarah do that. They have to wait 24 years to have a child. God has promised all these descendants to wait and wait and wait. And they finally have this child, his name is Isaac. And so it goes through their life. And now the time has come uh, that Sarah's going to die. And this is where we start in verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now Sarah, that's Abraham's wife, lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham wept went into mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Understandably. Wife dies, weeps for her. But the author takes a, a different focus. Rather than focusing on Abraham's grief or Abraham's sorrow or, or, or what's next, focuses on the, the process of getting a burial plot. And here's how it goes down. Then Abraham rose from before his dead, and spoke to the sons of Hath, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Hath answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. Hey, Abraham, you're a respected man in this land. Yeah, you're a foreigner, you're a sojourner, but we respect you. 
we'll give you a, look, you don't have to buy it. We'll just give you a burial plot, and, and you bury your wife, and, and, and yeah, at the place of your choice. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, you, what, what, why wouldn't you accept that? Well, well, Abraham doesn't. Look what he says in verses 7 through 9. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land. He's shown respects, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron and the son of Zophar, Zohar for me. So there's going to be a public discussion that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. So Abraham says, no, 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 I don't want to be given. I don't want to bury among you. Could, would you let me buy a place out of sight at the end of a field? And I, I'm willing to pay full price. Why? why? Why not just take the, you know, go over to the Fairview Cemetery and there's a couple plots there and just, you know, one for you and one for your wife. And, and why Why not? Here's why. Abraham believes a promise God gave to him at the beginning. And I, I want to read this promise. It's in Genesis 2, 1 to 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and your father's house to the land. That's where they are now. To the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. Abraham believes that. And he believes his descendants are going to one day possess this land. And he doesn't want to be buried among the folk. He wants a place to go where his descendants can say, you know, that's where our forefathers are buried. And that's where the faithful God had all started with him back there. Abraham is acting as if God is going to fulfill his promises which he will, but it's going to take hundreds of years. Abraham's got a son, Isaac, who will have a son, Jacob, who will have a bunch of sons. One will be Joseph. Joseph will go to Egypt. Uh, He will be venerated. He'll be a leader there, and then Pharaoh will turn, and it'll be 400 years. So you're talking three generations plus 400 years before Israel's going to take this land. It's going to take hundreds of years for God to fulfill that promise. It's going to happen long after Abraham dies. But he's acting as if God is going to come through. He hasn't fulfilled his yet, fulfilled the promise yet, but, but no thing. Because I think God is trustworthy, and I'm going to act as if he's going to fulfill his promise. That makes faith challenging. Because what I want God to do is, is, is make a promise to me, fulfill it, and then I'll act on it. But that ain't usually the way it happens. God says, you're going to need to trust me. You're going to have to believe in me. You're going to have to follow me. Trust in him to make good into my promise. And, and that's what Abraham's done. He's left his land. He's left everything he's known. And he won't be dissuaded from that. Look what happens. Verse 10. Now, Ephraim was sitting among the sons of Heth. And Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even all 
who went in the gate of his city saying, okay, we're doing public business here. That's what's going on. And so he's answering Abraham in front of all the people. He says, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your death. Abraham, man, look, I got all these witnesses here. We like you. We respect you. I'm going to give you the field. I'm going to give you the cave. Really, our heart is with you. Go bury your wife in the cave. We'll we'll just give it to you. Abraham's not backing off. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He's bowing to shoulder. I, I don't mean to be contentious. He spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Again, he, he, he's holding on to this conviction, and, and he, he won't accept the gift. He wants a place of burial for his people. Then Ephraim, I mean, verse 14, answered Abram, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is it? between me and you, so bury your dead. And what he's saying is like, four, all right, I'm going to sell it to you for 400 shekels. But man, we're ultra wealthy. It's like Bill Gates and, and Warren Buffett talking about selling a piece of property for 100 grand. What's that between us? You want it? I could give it to you, but you want me to take your 100 grand? I'll take your 100 grand. Okay? I mean, these guys are billionaires. That's what he's saying. What's 400 shekels? That's what it's worth, but you want full price? Okay, I'll give it to you. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standards. So Ephraim's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of his water were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all went in at the gate of this city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah's wife in the cave of the field of Macbeth, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Why go through all this? Because you want a burial place for your people. That someday, when they possess the land, They could say, that is where it all started. It's going to take hundreds of years, but Abraham is acting as if God is going to fulfill his promise. And that makes faith hard. It doesn't happen when we want it. So we're asking this question, what makes faith so challenging? We have to act on God's promises before he fulfills those promises. If we're going to have faith in God, we're going to trust God, I'm going to follow you. We've got to act on those promises often before God fulfills those promises. It's challenging. So as I'm prone to do during the week, I will process the, the, uh, the sermon with my wife, Hope. And, you know, I'll talk about what I'm thinking and then what I've got application. And I'm kind of laying out applications for it. And she said, you know, Andy, those are good applications. But let me suggest another application to you. 
If, if we really believe this, if we're going to act on God's promises uh, before he fulfills them, that means we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. And I said, oh, I'll be sure and tell the people in the church because they'll need to hear that. And I said, she said, I'm sure there's people in the church that need to hear that, but I'm thinking about you. You need to hear this. <laughs> she told me that on Tuesday, Tuesday was our 25th wedding anniversary. This is an anniversary shot. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. But, but she said to me, she said, Andy, this is 25 years. And after living with you for 25 years, you really need to hear this. You really need to stop worrying. Because you believe God's going to fulfill his promise even though it hasn't happened. And I said, babe, look, 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 look. I preach this stuff. I don't practice it. They, they pay me to preach it. I, I, don't, I don't practice. I don't want to practice it. I just, I just preach it. He said, well, I'll talk to the elders. I don't think that's what they're looking for. <laughs> but that is. I'm one who's prone to worry. And then I'm from a family that we got to cover every contingency of everything figured out. Andy, God is, don't we know, Andy, that God is good and God is sovereign? Yeah, yeah, I affirm that then we can go forward not worrying. We don't know specifics, and we're going to work on details, and we're going to work all that stuff. But we can live as if those promises are true, that God is good as God's sovereign. You know, down the road, God may be calling, may be calling you to move, and you think, I, I, I got family, I got friends here, and, and I don't know, but, but God has promised you that he will meet your need for intimacy for friendship. Well, well, I don't know who those people are, but you go forward in faith, knowing God will meet your needs. Again, perhaps you're in a dating relationship. You ought not to be in. This person, it's hard to let go because God will meet your need for intimacy. Well, he hasn't filled that, but, but I, I don't know. But, but we're trusting. We act in those promises before he fulfills them because we know he's good to his word. Perhaps you're in a job that, man, it is killing. Literally, it's killing you. You need to leave the job. And, 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 and God, but how will I meet needs? Well, God has promised to be faithful to meet our financial needs. What does that look like? I don't know. But we, we let go in, 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 in trust. You know, this is God's MO with his people. You need to trust me and believe me to fulfill my promises. When I came to faith, I was encouraged to memorize scriptures. And one of the verses I first memorized was uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's, it's a great promise. Here's what it says. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that a great verse? I think it is. I memorized it. And I, I do that for years. I was in college when a test would go bad and a girl would break my heart. And I, I, would, I would claim these verses. And, and, and they're good. God has a plan and a future. And I was trying to figure out what do I do when I graduate and claim this verse. What it took me years to realize is the context of that verse. Jeremiah 29, 10 gives us the context of that verse. Here's what that says. For I, oh, it's 20, I'm, I'm sorry, that's 20 verse 10. That's not 29 verse 10. Let me read 29 verse 10. It says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill you fulfill my good word to you, to bring you back to this place. The context of Jeremiah 29, 11 is they were in captivity. They were in bondage. 
And God said, you're going to live 70 years in captivity, and then I will, I, I will, I will bring you out. And in the midst of this, says, I have a plan for you, for welfare and for good. And so it was going to take 70 years for God to bring the people back into their land. But in the midst of that, he says, I have, I have a, a, a plan for you, a hope for you, a place for you. God's promises many times are dependent on us trusting him to fulfill his word. Um, Henry Now is an author I, I, I liked, and he, he um, illustrated the, the faith process this way. Um, he was talking to somebody who was a part of a circus act, and he talked to a trapeze flyer and a catcher. And what the flyer had to do was he'd be swinging. At a certain point, he had to let go. And he would just fall through the air holding perfectly still, trusting at the appropriate time the catcher would come and snap him up. Now, if he goes looking and trying to find the catcher, that messes up the timing. I think if I'm a trapeze flyer, I'm not letting go until somebody has a hold of my feet. I'm just not going to fall through the air. But then that's not much of a circus act, is it? But that's, in a sense, what we do. We let go, trusting that the catcher will do his job and will catch us at the right time. We're called to be people of faith. Hebrews 11 then is full. It's got Abraham, it's got Sarah's name in there, it's got Isaac, it's got Moses. These are people who waited for the promise of God and acted even before he fulfilled it. So Hebrews 11 finishes, and then these words are written in Hebrews 12. It says this, Therefore, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. The witnesses he's talking about are the people who live by faith. And they're an example to us. They are people who acted on the promises of God even before they were fulfilled. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that since God has um, given us these people, they're an inspiration. That is how we live. We are people who live like the people of Hebrews 11. Who? acted on the promises of God before they were fulfilled. We're called to be like that. Have you ever been to Memorial Stadium? If you look on the west side of the lower panel, it'll talk about conference championships. Then if you go up another level, it'll talk about national championships. And, and we're celebrating what the Huskers have done. But that's also a message to the players. This is what we're about. We're about conference championships, and we're about national championships. Well, Hebrews 11, in a sense, we're celebrating those people of faith, but we're also saying, this is what we're about. We're about people who act on God's promises before they're fulfilled. The people of Hebrews 11 give us a model. They call us to something, just like these conference champions and national champions of before are a model for today's Huskers football players. That's what we're about. So we, as a people, are about 
trusting God, acting on his promises even before they're fulfilled. Uh, When we finish, we're going to sing a song entitled, Yes and Amen. And that's an affirmation. We're singing that because we believe the promises of God are true. And yeah, they haven't been all fulfilled yet. But like Abraham, even though it may be hundreds of years after the fact, we say yes and amen to the promises of God. When I was a little boy, we lived in an area that had a, a wonderful pool, and there was a, a, a beach, and there was shuffleboard, and there was a picnic area, and there were all kinds of things down there. And my mom would take me down at 10 in the morning. And she, said, she said, I'll be back at 4 in the afternoon to pick you up. And you know, I played that whole day never wondering if my mom was going to show up. Never crossed my mind. Didn't worry me. Didn't ruin my day. I lived as if it was going to happen. And you know, that's how God wants us to live according to promise. We can enjoy life. We can live as if the promises of God are going to happen. And yet that is the challenge of faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm grateful for uh, this reminder of Abraham who, who lived as if your promises were going to happen, um, who lived as if uh, the land was going to be his descendants, even though it would be hundreds of years away. He acted as if it were going to be true. Lord, um, thanks for that, and thanks for the many cloud of witnesses who've gone before us, who, who, have, who have lived it out, who have acted that way. I pray would be those kind of people. Empower us. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in Christ's name. Amen.